Our scripture today comes to us out of Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. We read verses 23 through 29. Galatians 3, 23, we begin with the words of Paul. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read and as your word is proclaimed, help us here with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. Today we continue our Lenten worship series entitled, What Makes a Hero? The Death-Defying Ministry of Jesus Christ. And this is a, a worship series based on the study written by Reverend Matthew Rolfe, a uh, Louisiana United Methodist elder serving Asbury United Methodist in Bossier City. And so we continue this series, this uh, this week. True or false? I think I can speak for a lot of folks and myself when I say that Billy Graham was a great preacher. True? Billy Graham did the unthinkable, the unimaginable. He reached millions of lives with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When it comes to fulfilling the, the great commission as set forth by Jesus and Matthew to go and to make disciples of Jesus Christ and baptize the nations, then anyone would be hard-pressed to say that Graham did not go above and beyond what most of us Christian preachers are willing or possibly even capable of doing. Agree? To say that Graham is not a hero of the faith would be to discount all of the lives that have been affected by his ministry. The same, then, can be said of the likes of other heroes of the faith, such as John Wesley. You're sitting in this building today because of the life and the ministry of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. Other leaders such as John Calvin, Martin Luther, Augustine, Benedict, and John Smith. Leaders of the faith. These names represent heroes of our faith. And their ministries led to movements that created communities of faith and denominations all around the world and throughout history. And every single one of the denominations founded by the names of the men that I have mentioned are still going today and still changing 
lives today. To help us define and appreciate what it means to be a Christian. But to say that any one of them or any one of us or even perhaps all of them represents the beliefs of the entirety of Christendom or said another way to say that one, all, or any of them set the standard for the way that we using the collective we to represent Christians in general to say that each one of them or even individually that they represent the collective we would be an injustice to the diversity of Christianity Put it simpler, I see Billy Graham as the hero of the faith. However, I don't necessarily agree with all the theology that he preached. Just like I don't agree with all the theology behind what John Calvin preached. Just like I'm sure at some point in time, you won't agree with all the things that I preach. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's why we have brains that think differently, on different levels, that go to different places. We are all created as unique individuals, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's what makes us spiritually unique from one another. I tell people all the time that we might not agree on a topic, but if your belief is what draws you closer to Jesus Christ, then how can I learn something from you today? We are all different, and we are all unique. Therefore, Using the collective we when talking about almost anything in the world today can be a dangerous road to travel. Let's take an example. I'm going to name some colors. And if it's your favorite color, I want you to raise your hand. Okay? So, the most important color goes first. Whose favorite color is blue? Praise God. Perfection is in the house. I mean, (laughs) if your favorite color is red, we've got some reds. How about green? We got some greens. Anybody like orange? You like a lot of colors, don't you? (laughs) How about yellow? Any colors I didn't mention? Oh, pink. Purple, black, any other colors? Bright, bright yellow, neon, orange, reddish. <laughs> Zebra, camouflage, <laughs> zebra print. See, we even go on, are going beyond just the basic of colors. So to say that we are a blue-loving church, that may stir up some uh, unnecessary... Uh, disagreements, would it not? To say we're a a, a red-loving church, it would not be speaking the truth. It would be speaking on behalf of the we what the we as a collective doesn't believe. Somebody say amen. So if we take this to another level, if we say that we are a conservative Group, or to say we are a progressive group, or to say we are this believing of a group, to speak on behalf of all of Christendom would 
make some people in some areas come unglued, quite frankly. Amen? To say we are a progressive or we are a conservative church may cause one person to come unglued while the other is saying amen. The other is saying, now wait a minute. Am I wrong? And that's okay. Because we are spiritually unique individuals with a spiritual, perfectly placed moment in time by a perfect God to do a perfect God's work. And we are uniquely gifted to do so. But we have to be careful when using the word we because by doing so encourages people to build walls around their differing beliefs. And when we do that, we create a them. That's where we create the them. Today's message is us versus them and the body of Christ. So what is them? Them is simply anybody who is not in the we. Them is anybody who is not in the we. So then who has the right to define who we are as this church? Who has the right to define who we are as the church? If I were to say that we are a conservative or we are liberal, then that would be a creating a divisive we-them separation. However, if I were to say that we are the church, if I were to say we are first United Methodist Church of Winsboro, if I were to say we are the church with the big white steps on the front and we invite people of all backgrounds, all ages and nations and races to come up those big white steps, to step into the presence of God in our beautiful sanctuary, to hear the word, to sing praises, to pray. Then that's something we can all get behind, right? If I say we are a people at First United Methodist Church of Winsboro who loves our community, who works to feed the hungry people here, who seek to clothe the naked people here, who seek to go above and beyond and bring grace to all people here. That's something we can all get behind, isn't it? We, in this case, unites us under the vision of what God has offered us to be able to do as the body of Christ. Through God... We learn what it means to become more than just us and them. We learn what it is to become the body of Christ. So believe it or not, my wife and I have had disagreements in the past. One or two. One or two. Which... Sometimes those disagreements have turned into intense moments of fellowship. You know, I, I, I'm a words and a content guy. I'm an analytical guy. I like my words. I like my content. You know, I, 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 
And, and as part of that, sometimes the way that I frame things and the frame the content is not always filtered properly before it comes out. Anybody else around here like that? Roy? That's twice I got you today. You know anybody else like that, perhaps? She tells me all the time in our intense moments of fellowships, it's not what you say in our discussions necessarily, but it's always about how you say it. Anybody been listening to the news? Anybody hear about Coca-Cola's latest endeavors? Folks, the way you frame things makes all the difference in the world. The way we articulate what we want to say makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> I wonder how our disagreements might end up if we could recognize the illness rather than acting on the symptoms. The way we frame an argument is arguably more important than the argument itself. How many times have you ever been in a disagreement with someone and you forgot what your disagreement was about because now you're arguing about how you're arguing? Hello? How can we articulate a point then that's sturdy and, clear and clearly defined but leaves enough flexibility for the movement of the Holy Spirit? This begins with how we define we. It begins with how we define we. When we come to the table, is it that I'm right and you're wrong? No, it's usually the other way around. But is it that you're right and I'm wrong? Or is it that we are both broken? Is it that we both need something? When we gather together, are we speaking the same language? When we meet with our brothers and sisters, when we look at people outside of these walls, when we come face to face with folks, particularly those who are not like us, what lens are we looking at those people through? If we are looking through the lens of Jesus, when he broke the bread and poured the wine and gathered at the same table for the last supper that night of the first time communion was celebrated, that we call communion now, the last supper. If Jesus could gather with the same group of people that included Simon the Zealot, a man who wanted to overthrow the government, could sit right next to Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, a man who worked for the government. If they could get along enough to have supper together, then folks, there is hope for us and them in the world today to truly become the we. There is hope for us. Jesus taught us the power of misguided expectations. Many expected Jesus to be a mighty earthly king 
who would chase the Roman oppressors away, who would come and set up his throne in a mighty militaristic way. When he was crucified, you know, even the disciples became silent as they wrestled with what it meant. If they had just been paying attention, like so many of us today, they would have realized, just like us, that it wasn't just Jesus who was nailed on the cross that faithful day. It was also our expectations rooted in the hope for power, influence, violence, and selfishness. It was the desire to have a strong us at the expense of a weak them. Jesus came so we might realize that there is no us and them. Through Jesus, God showed us exactly what we needed to see in order to have the opportunity to see beyond us, to see beyond them, and to only see the gathering of children of God together as the body of Christ. God would put on our humanity. God would come and walk as Jesus, use the language that we could understand. Jesus, the Word of God, became flesh and used our words. Jesus, the Word became flesh and ate our food and even gave that food new and holy meaning. He suffered our sin so we might be redeemed. He loved the outcast. He got angry with the religious. He lived among the poor and he healed the sick. Because of Jesus, being connected with God is no longer about seeing God up there or out there, but seeing God in the face of one another. God is not some God that dwells way over here where nobody can see. God is the God that dwells in the presence of whoever is standing in front of you today. Through love, God's presence dwells within all of us. Through all this, Christ revealed who we are as the community. We are the body of Christ. To be the body of Christ, what does that mean? <laughs> to be the body of Christ means simply to show up. It means to be present. And showing up is not about filling pews. It's not about filling offering plates. It's about gathering to worship. It's about being the body of Christ gathering to sing. It's about being the body of Christ, gathering to pray. 
gathering to hear the word of God, to commune with each other and the Holy Spirit so that we can all have a more detailed picture of what and who God is and who God is calling us to become. And it's learning how to love. Yes, we're all going to disagree, probably today even. We're going to disagree. But God dwells even in the person with whom we disagree. To see God is simply to look into the eyes of our neighbors. All of our neighbors. Christ is our true hero because he revealed what it means to be connected to one another. He taught us what it meant to be the body of Christ. God carried the weight of our misguided expectations of the salvation that we think we needed. But he rose again to reveal that our unity in the body of Christ is stronger than any disagreement, prejudice, division that this world can create. Because the collective we, as in the body of Christ, is stronger than even death itself. Because the leader of our body, Jesus Christ, defeated death itself. God created us to be together as one, as the body of Christ. So what are we doing as the church? What are we doing as the body of Christ to send that message? Here's a question to ponder this week. If our church disappeared off the face of the earth today, who in the community besides us sitting in the pews or watching online today would even know that it was gone? The answer to that question is the answer to how we begin defining the steps to fulfilling our calling to being the body of Christ. How is it we are called to be the body and to stop creating walls that create an us and a them? We are all God's children. Let us then be the body of Christ. This is the gospel message today. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.